What London Can Be is brought to you by London Community Foundation, an organization dedicated to improving communities across London and Middlesex County. Welcome to What Lending Can Be, the podcast where we navigate our shifting world, shine a light on the issues our city is facing, and explore the innovative Made in London solutions to critical challenges in our community. I'm Diane Silva, Director of Philanthropy at Lenning Community Foundation. Today I'll be speaking with Abud Shorn, Associate Professor at the Arthur Labatt Family School of Nursing at Western University. Hi Abe, how are you? Hi, Diane. I'm well, thank you. It's nice to be on this conversation with you. Oh, we're super happy to have you here. And uh, for our listeners who aren't familiar with you, can you share a little bit about yourself and what led you to become an advocate for housing and homelessness issues? Sure. So uh, I'm a nurse by background, but my interest actually goes back a little bit further than that. Uh, My brother, while he was a teenager, Uh, struggled with an experience of homelessness himself. And he had told me as I got into nursing, he said, if you ever have a chance to work with folks who are struggling in this way, I think you'd really enjoy the work and I think you'd get a lot out of it. And So when I did my, even my schooling practicum was when I first worked at uh, London Intercommunity Health Centre. And it was in their outreach program that I, I really got to start to meet a lot of folks. And I got to hear their stories. I got to learn where they'd come from, where they, what they were going through and where they were trying to get to. And in a lot of ways, those stories are, are still the ones that I carry with me in, in doing this work. And, and I, I just was drawn by the complexities and the nuances of what they shared. And so while I I loved working frontline as a nurse, I loved being able to help people every day and you know be on their journey with them in in some way or another. I also found it uh, rather frustrating work or um you know disillusioning to some degree in that uh it was you know literally putting band-aids on much much bigger problems. And uh, so it was then that I I turned to um, academia and research as a way to create knowledge, um, to create practices, um, to do things a different way, to try to change the story at that higher level and have that uh, that bigger impact than than just the frontline work. And so through that journey, I, I also got into a lot of advocacy, you know, got involved with the London Homeless Coalition and lots of other amazing groups and organizations that are are trying to create change in our community. So yeah, at the root of it, I'm I'm still a nurse and um, still, you know, want want people to be as as healthy and well as they can be. And having a place to live is a huge, huge part of that. It's amazing how it all started with a personal connection. Uh, which led you through this journey. And thank goodness for our community, we have someone with your expertise that can shed light on on what are the cracks in the system because of your ability to, like you said, listen to people and engage with the clients. So it's remarkable. So we talk about affordable housing a lot. We hear about it a lot in the newspapers and, and everywhere. It's becoming a bigger issue. Um, but can you describe for our listeners, what is the spectrum uh, with when we talk about affordable housing? Yeah, so that's a 
That's a really good question. And it's, you know, it's one of those things that that's kind of like this at face value, a bit of a nerdy nuance in terms of how we define things. But when we look into it, the actual kind of terminology starts to matter because like you said, there is a whole spectrum of housing supports and types of housing that are designed to to meet those who maybe can't get access into market rent. And so when we think about the idea of affordable housing, that's a term that's often used as kind of like an umbrella term. And, you know, these days with the housing crisis as it is, it's used for everyone. I mean, people talk about affordable housing as like, you know, $500,000 home or something like that. Um, but within the, the sector itself, uh, affordable housing is a particular model. And, and that's a model where through um, public-private partnership, through government funding to nonprofits, for example, housing is offered at a rate that's below market. And that's often set at something like 80% of average market rent. But that's just one type of housing that's you know, where the issue is simply cost. And so often because market rent is still pretty high, 80% only gets you down somewhat. Um, that's often low-income families, um, folks who are working in maybe precarious work or part-time work. And apart from that, there are additional models of housing that that try to meet folks' needs. So that can include what's now called community housing, which before that was called social housing, which in other jurisdictions are is called public housing, which is essentially buildings that are have been built by, are owned and managed by the government. And in those, housing is more often provided at a rent geared to income. So it's not a set rate compared to the market rent, but it's a rate that is per the individual. And that makes it usually more affordable than, than the section of housing called affordable housing. And so we see more people kind of exiting homelessness or long-term mental health care, for example, into public housing. And then there's another form called supportive housing. And that's where you have on-site health and or social supports to make sure that those who have more complex or long-term needs are able to, to stay in their housing. That usually is also offered at a more affordable rate. Um, so there is, there is kind of a spectrum. There's nuances on each type in terms of, of kind of who tends to be supported by that form um, almost, you know, always involves some kind of partnership with nonprofits and charities um, or for public housing uh, administered by, by the government. And uh, can you share with us a bit about the history of affordable housing or even social housing in Canada and how it's evolved over the years? So this is a really important point because ultimately when I think about the existence of homelessness in a high-income country like Canada, I think of homelessness as a choice that we've made. It's a decision that we've policied into place. And what I mean by that is that there are ways that we structure supports that either have you know, more uh, efficacy, so everyone is able to find home, or that leave gaps. And what I've seen in doing research on the history of homelessness in Canada is that 
we've had this uh, quite a positive um, period of time that starts up after the World War II. And this is a point in our history where we're developing all sorts of important public systems like our, our public health care, um, you know, looking at human rights around access to work for women and voting rights and rights of uh, people of color, um, Indigenous rights. And at that time period, we also thought about making sure that everyone had home. And so there was a period particularly centered on the 1970s. It started in the 60s, but most of, of it happened in the 70s of building of public housing. And that was because we were introducing building codes that were going to mean that people couldn't live in informal housing anymore. They'd have to, uh, you know, have a, a place to stay. And so the government uh, responded to that need by by creating the buildings now that are still the public housing buildings in our communities because um, you know we haven't built um, new social housing since really since the 1980s and so that was actually a really positive period of time in our history where uh, street homelessness was essentially eliminated because we provided the the housing out of rent geared to income that everyone needed. But it was through a recession, it was a, a global recession in the 1980s that we started um, essentially withdrawing these approaches and, and stopping investing in things like housing for people. And that led to a very quick shift wherein when people were getting into crisis, getting into need, there was nowhere for them to go. And so we start having the advent of street homelessness in communities across Canada. The response in our communities was positive in that it was charitable, um, and that was building shelters. And so through the 1990s, you have this significant explosion of, of building of shelters, about a thousand shelters uh, across Canada, so that people who were homeless would at least have a place where they could get a meal, they could be safe in the winter, they could be safe overnight. But unfortunately, that response essentially entrenched itself into our communities as the way that we deal with homelessness. And it's a positive response in that it keeps people alive, but it's not a good response in terms of long term. And so we know that people who live in shelter, their health declines over time. Um, things like challenges like mental health, like addictions, tend to increase as people stay in shelter for longer. And, and, and we know shelter is not a home. And so this is the crisis we found ourselves coming into the 21st century, where we still had more and more people experiencing homelessness. Our shelters were full, even though we had built many, many in the, the decade before. And we were uh, not doing anything at the kind of structural level to change the story. We did have a really positive period of time through um, starting at around uh, 2008 and beyond, where the advent of housing first approach uh, really moved us forward in terms of focusing much, much more on getting people to find home and uh, you know, moving those who'd been staying in shelter for many years into to permanent housing with the right supports. Unfortunately, after about 10 years of doing that by 2018, we were really maxed out in those programs and also in our, our market. And so 
the housing market we know has been get, getting tighter and tighter. And so we, we occupied all of the capacity in the market. We've occupied all the capacity of those types of support programs. And so it's in 2018, again, that we find ourselves really going backwards and finding the really the situation that folks can see today if they if they walk through our parks, if they walk through our downtown, where we are again having an increase in, in homelessness. So it's not for a lack of having a model like Housing First in place. It's not for a lack of having some affordable housing coming online again. Um, it's just a, a capacity issue and that uh, that there are more folks in need that then can get the support. I want to I want to go back to housing first. But before that, because um, you talk about how there was this domino effect, right, that, you know, in response with the shelter system, you know, that was a good thing to do in the short term, but then it wasn't a sustainable solution. And then when you layer on the pandemic, what did you see happen to local communities uh, in terms of housing homelessness when you layered on the pandemic? If you look at the experience uh, in a community like London, it, it, it maybe risks oversimplifying, but I think of a very simple analogy of a bathtub. And so when you fill the, the tub, if the plug's in, then the water gets deeper. If you pull out the plug, then the water goes down. And it's essentially a, a system level issue in terms of if you have more people who are experiencing homelessness, you need to have more housing for them to move out to. Otherwise, you'll have increase within the system. And so it's quite a simple kind of flow issue that way. And what happens in our, our pandemic essentially is that we take an already tough situation with very low vacancy rates, with rapidly increasing rental costs, um, and you just dial that all up. And so you increase the, the crisis, you increase isolation amongst vulnerable people, and we see advent of uh, use of, of kind of more poisonous drugs. Um, you have uh, some folks in uh, increased financial struggle. At the same time, the market is increasingly becomes this investment tool, and you have a huge buying up of, of previously uh, affordable low-rent units getting renovated, being turned back out into the market at a, a much, much higher rate. And essentially what we do is we both increase the flow in, <laughs> Uh, and we we decrease the flow out, and so really, it's it's not a surprise that homelessness gets worse more quickly during the pandemic, because really, in in the end of the day, this is about having housing for people who need it. Right. Um, also, um, obviously, this whole conversation about housing affordability is a big issue. And it became a big issue even with the uh, 2022 federal budget. Um, do you have anything that you can share? Or do you see any signs of any movement in Housing First uh, in relation to the budget? Yeah, so the budget's a really interesting moment in time. I mean, we've been talking housing affordability since, you know, I, I got out of school. Um, and it's exciting to see the rest of the country talking about it as well. And so I was I was fairly hopeful around this budget. And 
In fact, we've seen this trend already with the federal government prior to the pandemic with the advent of a national housing strategy. And that's something that we've been asking for since I remember a conference I went to in 2008 where we were asking the government for a national housing strategy and, and 10 years later we got one. And so, you know, that shows at least an interest, a consideration, and a, a recognition of the problem. And so budgets are really an opportunity to see, you know, how that strategy is going to be actualized. And so this was an important budget with housing being, being the top issue being presented. Um, how did the budget play out? Well, I think there's there's good, bad, and ugly in here. So I would say the good is that some of the gains that we've made in terms of, of new investments are going to be remaining. And so, for example, we had a doubling of the what's called the Reaching Home Fund, and that's the national fund that supports a lot of the Housing First programs. It had been doubled for the pandemic, and the government in this budget promised to keep it like that. Other things they're doing, like supporting co-ops. So co-ops are a group that offers a lot of rent geared to income housing, and they've put a huge new investment in there because a lot of those co-ops were going to be having expiring agreements with the government, and that was going to probably force them to make their housing more market rent. Uh, and so renewing all of those contracts keeps a lot of affordability in our system. So that's the that's the good side. I think on the flip side, though, I mean, we, we really haven't been able to detach ourselves from housing as an investment tool. And you so, so you see things like more opportunities for new home buyers, which, you know, has an appeal to it because people are, are being kept out of the market because of the cost. But all of that does is just heats up the market. It just pushes that, continues to push those prices up and up and up. Uh, and really, I mean, we have to to cool the market somehow. So it it was kind of a, a two sided, I think, approach. Uh, you know, good in terms of keeping some of the investments in affordability, but bad in terms of of still heating uh, the market. Now, I mean, the funny thing about the budget is that, you know, regardless of everything that they could or did put in a budget, nothing is going to have impact on the housing market like the interest rate increases we're seeing like those are I mean those will have like a fundamental impact on the market everything the government does on the budget side is a lot of kind of tweaks around the edges really interesting and so I'm curious to uh, get your opinion on what recommendations would you make in terms of policies uh, that should be implemented at the national provincial or even municipal level what are some of the considerations we should be taking or thinking about so I think one of the things that we need to do well and do better and that we do a little bit of that we need to do more of is really thinking about not just providing more housing, which we need, and we need across the whole market, the, the spectrum of housing, because we know that we depend on population growth to keep our economy running and people need somewhere to live. So we will need housing of all kinds. And so that's good. I mean, we need to, to focus on, on supply, but we also need to recognize that many people have challenges in terms of accessing housing, and those can be both financial challenges and support challenges. And so if we don't attend to those well enough, then we'll continue to have the situation we have where increasing numbers of people are just without a place to be. And so 
there are a couple of ways we can address that. And so I, I get really excited when I see things like the Soho neighborhood, where the old hospital lands, where you have uh, opportunity to find new space in the middle of a city. Uh, and so that's, you know, a real opportunity because land is, is one of the big challenges always on, on developing new housing. And so taking this place that, that suddenly becomes available and working together with a, a large network of nonprofits uh, to ensure that as much of the housing that's built there is, is affordable. I mean, that's huge. That's what communities can do together, right, is really work collaboratively as teams to bring together, um, you know, folks with, with money and folks with plans and folks with passion to, to create places for, for people to live. At the higher level, I think what I would really recommend to the federal government, uh, for example, is to think about social housing as well. And so, you know, when we talk about homelessness uh, and, and plans to prevent it and homelessness, when we talk to the city about that, they'll always say, you know, we have a toolbox approach. And so there's everything from you know, renting one-off kind of um, apartments where the city covers a lease for someone who's in need to the shelter system, to these new builds. Uh, there's one tool though that's missing in our toolbox, which is that we haven't built any new public housing uh, since the 1980s. And so if we look at places like Finland is an example I, I go back to again and again, because they have like 10% of the rate of homelessness that we have. Um, you know, they were uh, announcing essentially a crisis because they had 3000 people experiencing homelessness, um, which is, you know, not even what uh, you'd have on any given night in Toronto alone. Um, what they do differently is that they've never stopped building public housing as well. So they still do housing first. They still do affordable housing. You know, they still have emergency shelters, uh, but they also do the public. And so It'd be great for us, I think, as a country to make sure we're using all of the, the tools uh, in the toolbox. And do you sense that there is a lot of dialogue happening between like the agencies that are serving um, the homelessness, pop the homeless population and advocates like you with, you know, these major governments? Can you shed some insight around that? Yeah, I um, I would say it's a mix. And so at the local level, um, you know, I have to give credit to our housing division and to our manager of homelessness, Craig Cooper, um, and, and his director, uh, Kevin Dickens. I mean, these folks are always available for a phone call. And, and that's the kind of relationship, I think, that, that helps us come up with good solutions. So we saw things, for example, like the winter solution which came up really quickly. And it was, you know, a collaboration of community members who said, look, we need somewhere for people to stay or they're gonna freeze. And so, you know, everyone coming together in that way, uh, that's that's great. And, and that's a community that I wanna be a part of. Uh, I've already talked about the federal government having a national housing strategy, actually putting some things in the budget. Uh, so we've seen some great um, opportunities for collaboration there. Uh, you know, at the risk of being a, a little bit political here, I would say the provincial government has really gone quiet on housing for uh, this past administration, which, I mean, it's it's kind of stunning because of housing becoming the kind of driving issue in our communities. Um, 
and they've simply, you know, it's, it's not that they've, um, uh, you know, started cutting things that, that were really obvious, but what they've done is they've just started sunsetting a whole bunch of programs, um, pre previous, uh, housing funding, uh, to the extent now where we've lost $250 million a year out of the provincial budget towards housing. And that's just being backfilled by the federal national housing strategy money. So where I was excited, like, oh, the feds are coming to the table with more money now. We're going to get further ahead. We end up no further ahead because the province just pulls back, you know, every penny that the feds put in. So, you know, that's been that's pretty disappointing. Um, we really need all orders of government involved if we're going to have like that system level impact. And so it feels kind of like one step forward, one step back to have, you know, one order of government in and then another one out. And um, so really hoping that uh, maybe this energy behind housing affordability means that the province is going to have to come back to the table and, uh, and bring some, some money and some ideas with them. And hopefully they're all listening, right, to this conversation, because, right. you know, this is the, the goal for this is to inform people about uh, what's really happening behind the scenes. So thank you for sharing your insights. So finally, Abe, what do you think Lenin can be and how do you think we can get there together? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think London can be a place that houses everyone. I think it's really truly manageable. You know, when I say ending homelessness, I'm not kidding. You know, I'm not talking about some kind of like arbitrary measure of like, oh, only, you know, have X number of people homeless for X number of nights. No, I, I believe that we as a community can actually end homelessness. And I believe that because we've been there, right? We look to what we achieved in the 1970s. And I think we can go back there. If Finland's doing it, we can do it too. I mean, we're not so different from the Finns, I don't think. Um, so, I, I mean, it's going to take a lot. Like I said, it takes all orders of government because housing is expensive in terms of the capital side of things. We have the expertise on doing supports. We have incredible organizations, uh, you know, CMHA, London Cares. We have places like Unity Project transitioning to housing-focused shelters, YOU doing their housing-focused shelter for youth. And so, I mean, we've done so much work in embracing housing first, uh, in, in making sure that people with the highest needs are, are supported into home. Um, we just need more of it, right? We know what to do on that side. Same with the housing development, right? We know how to turn a, an old hospital property into to homes for thousands of people. Um, so we, we know what we're doing in this community. We know how to do it. Uh, we just need help to do more. That was great. You know, Abe, thank you so much for your time. You're incredibly insightful and I really appreciated learning all of this from you. So thank you so much and, and I wish you all the best and for you to continue to be a strong advocate uh, for affordable housing and the homeless, homelessness population as well. So thank you for your tireless work. Thanks, Diane. I really appreciate the chance to chat with you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of What Lenin Can Be. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about today's guest, visit us at lcf.on.ca forward slash what Lenin can be. If you like this podcast, tell a friend and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You'll find links on our website. Thank you again for listening to us.